May the Lord be blessed today and take pleasure in his people. I'd like to talk about the awesome power of love today. God does not just have love. God is love. And, you know, God understood clearly that who we are in Adam could not be rehabilitated. We can't be fixed. So we shouldn't pray, Lord, fix me. We should pray, Lord, make me a new creation in Christ. You know, that's why we have been born again. Uh, the Apostle Peter said that when we're born again, we become partakers of God's divine nature. And so his nature, of course, is love. And so that's what we're called to. The Apostle Paul said, you know, he was talking about all the gifts of the Holy Spirit and about seeking the gifts of the Holy Spirit because <clears throat> those spiritual gifts are the tools for which God works through you and me. The, the Bible says that each one of us has a special gift. If we look at the Apostle Paul, he had every single gift. He was a prophet. He had wisdom. He had knowledge. He healed. He performed miracles. He was good at administrating. He, he, he prayed in tongues. He interpreted tongues. He had every, he, you know, did I mention wisdom? He had wisdom. Um, but he had all the gifts. So, you know, you're not limited to one gift. Matter of fact, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, earnestly pursue the gifts, but above all, especially to prophesy. Because to prophesy, God is actually speaking the right now word of God through you to others. You are the vessel you are his mouth to others when you are a prophet. So I say we should all pray that we receive the gift of prophet, prophecy. You know, uh, Moses said <laughs> when, when the 70 elders began to prophesy, and it kind of, kind of shook Joshua up, and he thought, oh, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, you're the main guy, Moses. And, and uh, he, you know, so Joshua went over and said, Moses, the, the 70 elders are prophesying. Well, guess what? You can't prophesy unless God is prophesying through you. You can't do it yourself, amen? Uh, you can't just speak in tongues. You can't interpret tongues. You can't have wisdom. You can't do any of that on your own. You can't perform miracles on your own. You can't heal people on your own. So if God is using your hands to heal or if he's performing miracles through you, it's God at work, amen? It's He, him at work. So, you know, it kind of, I guess uh, maybe Joshua was worried about Moses' authority being questioned or, or something like that, but it wasn't at all. And you know what Moses said? I wish you all prophesied. I wish the, the entire nation of Israel was a nation of prophets and prophetesses. That's what he said. And that's the attitude uh, that we should have. But in that, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you know, the Apostle Paul is talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
And then he begins talking about them again in chapter 14. And he says, earnestly pursue them, especially that you may prophesy. But in chapter, at the end of chapter 12, he says, but I will show you a more excellent way. And he said that more excellent way is love. Now, and then, of course, we're all familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's, we call it the love chapter. That's what it's called. And it, it, it extols and expounds upon not only the value or the virtue of love, but the necessity of love. Now, years ago, I think it was maybe in uh, 1995, I believe, I had never had a vision. Uh, you know, I was a part of the Worldwide Church of God, which was a nonprofit organization, if you get that. Prophet as in prophet of God. They would joke. I mean, if anyone was going to be a prophet, it would be the main head guy because they believed in, you know, a hierarchical government structure. But um, so, you know, I, uh, I did not really. Early, would you mind sharing your, your testimony, too, with me? You can come up and sit here and then I'll we'll need this on for her. But it's very important because early, you want to come on up, or you can stay back ever you want to do it. But you can come up and sit up here. I'll just tell mine and then tell yours. But she was raised in the Worldwide Church of God too. We knew each other. I knew her since she was a teenager, and um, so we didn't expect to hear the audible voice of God. We did not expect to see His presence. We did not expect, you know, uh, we didn't even think about spiritual gifts actually, until we came out. And then I began to, you know, you began to reread all the scriptures and to revisit everything that, you know, you question what you actually believed. And you, what, what, we went back to see, well, are we right about this? Because the Worldwide Church of God collapsed due to false doctrine. You know, they went to the world. They went to Sunday. They went to Christmas. They went to Easter. You know, they began to be kind of mainstream Christianity over a period of time. So we began to have to question those, you know, those beliefs, our old beliefs. Well, were we wrong? And we found out we were wrong about quite a few things, but we were right about quite a few things. Anyway, that was our assessment after studying. But, but there was a period of time when I saw that God clearly said, earnestly pursue the gifts. Earnestly desire them and seek them, pursue them. So I began to do it. I began every day I would take a break and, and pray, uh, you know, several times a day actually. Pray for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Just pray for every one of them. Say, Lord, I, I want your will. Uh, I pray that you would rain down upon our congregation the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Give me the gifts of the Holy Spirit. One day I was sitting at my desk at the, at the church and I got up to go into another room to pray. And when I got up to pray, suddenly I was envisioned and there was a tunnel just came over my face. I could see nothing but light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm traveling through the tunnel. Now this is new to me. I mean, this never happened to me before. 1995. And I'm traveling through that tunnel. And as I'm getting closer to the end, I could see 
that there's a cross and there's someone on the cross suffering. Now I immediately thought, well, that's Jesus. I'm seeing Jesus. But then as I came closer, I saw that it was me, that I was there. Or maybe I was in Jesus, but I saw me and I entered. When I entered into my body on the cross, I felt something that was totally foreign to me that I'd never felt before. And it was the perfect agape sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. You know, I, uh, I realized that I was on the cross for those who were mocking me, for those who were falsely accusing me, for those who were crucifying me. I was on the cross for them, and I felt a love for them. And I wanted them forgiven. I did, I did not even consider, it didn't even come into my mind that they should be accountable for what they were doing to me. Now, I knew, I mean, I had a love for my children, my wife, for my mother, you know, and other family members, other brothers and sisters that I've had love for. This was different. This was completely different. This was selfless. You didn't, I didn't care about anything else. I didn't care about anything else except those people who were crucifying me to be forgiven and to be saved. That's all I cared about. Nothing else. Just that. And then I heard a voice that said, this is what you must do. And I knew that I had to be on the cross. I knew, I, I knew that I had to lay down my life. My life had to be a living sacrifice. Not that I would literally, literally be on the cross, but Jesus said, take your cross and follow me. So I knew that, if, that I had to take up that cross and I had to crawl up on that cross and I had to die on that cross and I had to suffer at the hands of people that I, that I, I was laying down my life for. That's what I had to do. And I heard that voice. And the voice said, this is what you must do. And this is how you must be. And he was talking about that love. It can't be selfish at all. You know, we've been given mercy. So we extend mercy. We've been forgiven, so we forgive others. The Lord does not take into account how we make him suffer every day. Every day. You hear me? I said every day. Every day he bears, he endures, he suffers long, patiently with me. With me. Because I fail him every single day. And he's willing to do that. And he's willing to cover me. You know, Peter said, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 says that love covers a multitude of sins. Psalm chapter 10, I think, verse 13 says the same thing. I may have that wrong, but it's not Psalm, it's Proverbs. 
Love covers. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Love does not seek its own interest. Love is not jealous. It's not envious. Love is patient and kind and gentle. That's what love is. And that's what God is. That's what God is. And when we live out that divine nature, when we allow, listen to me, you can prophesy, so what? You can heal someone, so what? They're going to get sick again. Or they're going to eventually die. It's appointed for us to die. You can perform a miracle, but it's soon going to be over. I mean, it's, that's, maybe you're smart. Maybe you've got all wisdom. You're going to die. Maybe you have all knowledge. You're going to die. Maybe you can interpret dreams. What, someday you won't be around to do it. But Paul said there's a more excellent way. And what the Lord was telling me when I had that vision very clearly was you're praying for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but you know, none of that matters if you don't have the excellent virtue of love. It doesn't matter. If you don't have love, what does it mean to have love? It means not to seek your own interests. It means to be sacrificial. It means to lay down. We get hurt, we get angry. Someone else hurts someone we love, we get angry. It rises up in us, we get, we get angry. It's not that it's, you know, I mean, it's because you love someone. You don't want someone to be hurt. Someone does somebody wrong that you love, we don't like it, do we? It hurts. And oftentimes we'll think, you know, well, if they do it to me, okay, I can bear it, you know, but if they do it to somebody I love, they do it to my kid, well, now, we just have to be, we have to lay down no matter what. We have to say, we have to cover it. Say, Lord, don't take that into account. Now, you're God, I can't tell you what to do, but I say, don't, don't bring any, anything upon them because of me. I will bear it. You know what Peter said? He said, it pleases the Lord when we suffer unjustly. When we bear it unjustly, it pleases the Lord. Now, why does that please the Lord? Because you're never more like Jesus than when you do that. That's exactly what he did. He suffered, he bore it, Even though he was unjustly arrested, he was unjustly, you know, accused, falsely accused, he was unjustly punished, but he bore it for us. Now, Erlene had a very similar, uh, a very similar um, vision the very same day. <laughs> for all we know, it may have been at the same time. And so she'll share that with us in a moment. But see, she and I, you know, we were in Worldwide all those years. We were close, still are, have been close all these years, even when she was a teenager. And so it was both very, you know, we, I wasn't going to tell anybody. 
<laughs> I wasn't going to tell anybody that I knew. Hey, guess what? I had a vision. I wasn't going to do it because, you know, you just didn't do that among those people. She wouldn't do it either. But everybody left. The next Sabbath, I think that was on a Tuesday when that happened. But the next Sabbath, <laughs> we just kind of hung around. Jack was there. And we were just kind of hanging around and visiting like we did. I mean, sometimes we'd stay up like 2 in the morning and, and talk about the Bible many times. But <laughs> we were just kind of, I said, hey, we're here. You, you want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13? She said, yeah, I do. Because that was quickened in her too. And so we sat down and we started reading. She said, well, something happened to me. <laughs> and I don't really know how to explain it. I said, me too. So that's how it happened. Like he said, I was thinking to my mind, well, okay, I had several thoughts. One, one of them was I've lost my mind. <laughs> you know, that did occur to me. But I thought, then I knew that wasn't true, but I thought, I'm not telling anybody about this because I know how that will be received. People will think that I've lost my mind. So, but anyway, so, yes, it was on that Tuesday and what had happened is my mother asked, I was living with my mother at the time, and she asked me to go to the store and get something, okay? So consciously, I'll just tell you, I went and got in the car and started backing up, and the next thing that I knew in this, I'm going to say in this time frame, I don't even know how to put it, I was in front of the store. I had, I had driven there in the but what happened to me while I was driving was I started driving, and like Larry said, it was the same kind of scenario. I saw a tunnel. It was dark all around, and there was light at the end of it. It wasn't really bright at first. It got brighter as I got closer. But I didn't see a cross. The difference is that what I saw was we were. I was in an arena with this man who was covered. I couldn't see his face. And it, the light was coming from a spotlight that was on us. And around us, there were people. I couldn't see them because they were in the darkness, but I could hear them. It was like, I guess, the way I would characterize it, like what maybe you would think about the Colosseum back in the old days, you know, where. People are being entertained by this. And anyway, I was kneeling, and this man, he had a, I don't even know what you would call it. I don't, I don't know. But I knew he was about to cut my head off. And he said, "If I won't do this. You know, you, you can live if you renounce Jesus Christ. And I said, no, that's the one thing I can't do. And, but... Then I realized, just as I said that, I wasn't afraid. I mean, you know, the word says that perfect love casts out all fear. There was absolutely no fear whatsoever. Matter of fact, it went beyond no fear. It's like Larry was saying about what he saw. I had such a love for this man and for all the people that I knew were 
you know, in agreement with what he was about to do. And all I kept saying was, you don't know what you're doing. And Lord, he doesn't know what he's doing. They don't know what they're doing. Please forgive them. Please don't hold it to their charge. And I felt that with every ounce of my being. And then I didn't hear anything, but I think he cut my head off. I think that's what happened, and I came out of the vision. But I remember sitting in that parking lot at the store, just kind of being overwhelmed and thinking, well, see, it wasn't all clear in my mind until we talked on the Sabbath. All I knew was, okay, I just felt some love that I don't, I don't understand. I've never felt that way before about anybody, much less begging someone who I knew had hatred for me and for, for the world. Anyway, then I did bring it up to Larry and I let him finish. You know, Jesus left us one commandment, or a new commandment, and that was the commandment to love one another. There's a two-CD uh, music set called The Story that I really like to listen to. I keep it in my truck, and I listen to it quite often. And it's the story of the Bible. The beginning of it is the creation, and then it's the story of Adam and Eve, and the sing it's various Christian singers uh, singing different parts. And uh, so this is a man and a woman, Adam and Eve, singing, and uh, regretting, you know, the decision they made, remembering when... They used to walk with God in the cool of the day in the garden and all of that. And, and then it just goes on. It talks about Moses and Abraham and Joshua and different people. And then the second uh, CD is the New Testament. And it begins with the birth of Jesus. It's uh, the call of Mary, you know, where uh, Gabriel came, comes to her and asked her if she would bear the Messiah, Jesus, and she said yes. But there's one, I think it's um, it's maybe the fourth song on that second one. It's called How Love Wins, and it's performed by Stephen Curtis Chapman. And he is the cross, I mean not the cross, but the thief on the cross that received Christ. And I want to read the chorus because it's so beautiful it says this is how love wins every single time climbing high upon a tree where someone else should die and this is how love heals the deepest part of you letting himself bleed into the middle of your wounds this is what love says standing at the door you don't have to be who you've been before Silence by his voice, death can't speak again. This is how love wins. That's the power of the love of God. And you know, 
Jesus told us, one commandment I leave you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now let's go over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We'll see here that the goal of our instruction, Paul said the goal of his instruction, he told Timothy, is love. That's the goal. There's lots of things to preach about, but none of it matters if we don't have love. Doesn't matter if we prophesy. It doesn't matter if you keep all the commandments. Nothing matters if you do not yield to the love of God. If you don't let God, His divine nature, renew your heart, transform you into the new creation that you are born again to be. Nothing will matter. Matter of fact, we'll find in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you could, get, you could sell all your belongings and give it to the poor, and it will matter nothing. You can give your body to be burned for the cause of Jesus, and it will profit you nothing. Without love, it's nothing. So love is why we have, we, we cannot Fulfill the purpose of God without allowing the love of God to flow through us to others. God hasn't created us to just be, you know, well, it's just me and you, God. It doesn't that way. It's a, you know, he's created a kind of a messy thing called the church. <laughs> you know, whether we might get, in, get on each other's nerves and get in each other's hair, you know. But that's the way it is. Amen. That's how he, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And you are all brothers and sisters. Not only that, you are individual members of my body. Now let's think about that. Individual members of his body. Now here in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, let's just begin in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. As I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. Now notice verse 5. But our goal... That's the goal. But our goal, the goal of our instruction, the whole purpose of our instruction, it reminds me of what Jesus said, you know, when they asked, uh, you know, which is the greatest commandment? And he said the first commandment, to love your, Lord, the, your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And he said the second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And he said upon these two great commandments hinge everything else. Everything else. And all the commandments come from love. Come from God who is love. God, God doesn't just have love. He is love. Now, how do we know? How, do, how can we be sure that we're in God's will? There's only one way. And that's love. 
That's the only way. You can think you're in God. You know, there's lots of times that we thought we knew something. We thought we knew a particular teaching or something or other. And then later on we find out, you know what, we were missing something. We were looking at that at this paradigm, but if you look at it from this paradigm, we see something else. Now from this paradigm, we put these scriptures together with it, but from this paradigm, we find there's a whole lot more scriptures and it fits better, you know. And so we change. That's why we have a doctrinal council. You know, when something comes up, we look at it, we study it out, and we just... You know, meet together and discuss it until we reach a consensus, till we know, you know, that we, we're, we're together on it. But love isn't really that way, is it? It's easy to know if you love. Are you selfish? Are you will, willing to lay down? Are you willing to not be about you? Are you willing to not be about you? Are you really willing to put someone else first? Or like what Paul said, you know, in 1 Corinthians, he was saying, what is wrong with you people? What's wrong with you? I mean, you got all these disputes between you and you're going to outside judges. You're taking law, making lawsuits and things like that. Isn't there a wise man in the congregation? Why do you go to outsiders? He's saying he said, do you not know you're going to be judging angels? Well, what was missing there? The love of God. Jesus laid down himself and he gave us an example. He took up the cross for us. Amen. And he tells us, you know, since I have forgiven you, you forgive others. It, be like me. If I don't take, if, if I remember your sins, your lawless deeds no more, then forget any lawless deed committed against you. That's how you be like me. Are we followers of Jesus? How do we follow him? How do we follow him? We're supposed to follow his example. I want to say something. What if the Lord, when it came and he's in the garden, you know, it's a very difficult time. I mean, there on the last Passover, what does he do? He takes the role of the lowest servant in the house. He is the Lord of the universe. He is the creator of all things. He is the one they call master and teacher and rabbi. And so he is. They've seen him raise the dead. They've just seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. You know, he was in the grave four days. They've seen this. They've seen great miracles. They saw him speak to the wind and it stopped. And here's this same man on the last Passover. And he gets up from the table and he goes over, takes his robe off. He girds himself with a towel and he takes a basin of water and he kneels before the dirty feet of the disciples, including the one he knew who would betray him, Judas. And he washed Judas's feet, the one who would sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. And he tenderly took those feet and he washed them just as, just as tenderly and just as clean as he washed ever 
all the other apostles' feet. And the only one that we know of objected was Peter. Oh, you're not going to do that to me. It's pretty amazing. And then he said, if, do you know, know what I have done? You call me master and you're right. You see what I've done? Do that. Do what I did. Now, he's not talking about just do it on the Passover. Of course, we do it on the Passover. Of course, we, we partake of the, the, his body and the bread and the, his blood and the wine, and we wash each other's feet according to what he said. Do this in, in, you know, in memory of me, in remembrance of me. It's a memorial, a yearly memorial, and we do that. But, you know, it is a, it is a lifestyle. <laughs> it's not just about one day a year. It's a lifestyle by which we have to bow at each other, not in worship, but in yielding to one another and serving one another. Let me serve you. Let me take the low position. Did the apostles there deserve the higher position? No. Did Judas, his betrayer, deserve that? Of course not. But did Jesus do it? Yes, he did it. And he said, do this. He's not just talking about on the Passover. He's talking about all the time. I'm preaching to me. I don't do it. But I know I need to. I know that the love of God has to fill me to where I, I would do that. Jesus said, love your enemies. Love those who maliciously attack you. Now, Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he, he was praying, he was, he, he, was, he was under such pressure that great drops of blood, like sweat, were coming out of the pores of his skin. And his... He, he knew what he was going to go through. He knew he was going to have to take he drink of that cup. He knew he had to be separated from his father for a time. And he cried out, Father, can this cup pass for me? I don't know how I'm going to do it. It seems impossible. I don't know how I'm going to do this. How can I bear it? How can I become a curse? I am the right, I am living righteousness. How is death going to be, life going to become death? How is right, you know, righteousness going to become unrighteousness and a blessing become a curse? Yet I, your will be done. And I'll do it for the joy set before me. But my heart is turning over. I don't know how I'm going to do it. But I'll put one foot you know, one step at a time until I get there and then I'll lay on that. I'll be beaten and I'll lay on I'll be mocked and I'll have that crown of thorns jammed down onto my head. And you know, he was arrested and he was like the silence of the lamb. Didn't defend himself. He was led to slaughter. Just according to the prophecy, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22. But what if he acted like we do? What if after the garden, he said, that's it. I'm, I'm tired of this. I'm done. 
I'm not taking it anymore. Hell no, I'm not taking it anymore. Yeah, I, I can forgive you. I can say, you can tell me you're sorry. You'll do the same thing tomorrow. Oh yeah, you can say, forgive me, forgive me. You'll just do the same thing tomorrow. Tomorrow, you'll pierce my heart through again. You've never been trustworthy. I'm laying this cross down. I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. You don't even, you don't love me. You don't show that you love me at all. I'm out of here. That's what we do. That's what we do. That's what we do. Oh, we have our limits. Yes, sir. You cross this line, buddy. That's it. <laughs> you better. You said that to me or you did that. Or you did that to someone that I love? Okay, well, that's it. I'm done. That's it. I'm done. You're a hopeless case. I give up on you. Well, the Lord didn't do it. And he didn't do it for those who nailed him to the cross. And he didn't do it for those who were crying out, crucify him. And he wasn't doing it for those who were wagging their, their, their heads and their and hurling insults at him, saying, come down off the cross. If you're really God, do something, you know. Well, good thing he didn't, because if he did, we'd be forever lost, amen? It's hard. But, you know, we're going into these last days. There's trouble all over the world. Trouble all over the world. You know, it's, it's, it may get a little bit better for a while. And soon as we get this COVID over, we have to get to work at preaching the gospel. We have to start putting that tent up and do more tent meetings. And we've got to go door to door. And we've got to go down uh, to the courthouse and hand out tracts and demonstrate. We've got to be busy. <laughs> said busy with people you know preaching the gospel. Bring in the sheaves. Work that harvest. You know, the devil wants to cause division because he knows the power of unity. But it's only momentary. It's not going to last. So Paul said, verse 5, but the goal of our instruction is love. That's the goal. And that's what Jesus, basically that's what it comes down to. I want you to be like me. Jesus said, be like me. We are called Christians, followers of Christ. But the goal of our instruction, what is your goal? What's the goal of your life? Because you can say, well, the goal of my life is to learn a lot about God and know how to serve him. It doesn't matter without love. If you seek your own interests, it doesn't matter. If you're selfish, it doesn't matter. If you take into account wrongs suffered, it doesn't matter. You can, it doesn't matter. Nothing, of it, nothing matters. None of it matters. You can speak all prophecies, mysteries since the beginning of the, the ages. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Without love, it's all a clanging symbol. Love is essential. Nothing 
Nothing. If you build on the foundation of Christ, you're building on who he is. Love. But the goal of our instruction, everything that Paul talks about, everything he talks about, whatever he is instructing, whether he's talking about, you know, dealing with false teachers, if he's talking about anything else, how to keep the Passover, like in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, or whatever it happens to be, seeking the gifts, it doesn't matter. He says the goal, the, the goal of our instruction, read it, is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Sincere, you know, comes from two Greek words meaning no wax. It being a no wax faith, a sincere faith. It means there's nothing hidden because, you know, they, if there was an imperfection in a vase or something that they were, uh, or, or even in, something metal, anything, that they would cover it with, with, with wax, you know, and let it dry, and then they'd cover it with gold or whatever, that paint or whatever it happens to be. And, of course, if it gets hot, <laughs> it's knocked off, scraped off, it just, you'd see the imperfection there. So he's saying, have a faith without imperfection. This tells us that we can have a faith that is, you know, looks good, but it's not good. It's just covered up. Amen. So that's the goal of the instruction. Now let's go over to Hebrews chapter 10 quickly. And we'll see the reason for our assembly. You know why we assemble? You know what we assemble here for? Well, you may assemble here to worship together. You may assemble here to hear the foolishness of preaching, as Paul said. But not everyone preaches. So what are we here for? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which is inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. And since we have a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now, now, verse 24. And this has to do with the assembly, which talks about in the next verse. And let us consider how to do what? To stimulate one another to what? To love. Stimulate one another. That's what I'm doing today. But we're all supposed to do that. To stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Is that what you think about? That should be your most dominant thought. You know, we were always moving in the direction of our most dominant thought. Our most dominant thought should be, how do we, how do we show the love of God in this circumstance to this person, to this group, whatever it happens to be? Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as it is a habit of son, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now let's go to Proverbs chapter 10. 
Proverbs chapter 10. Oh, we'll get to a more excellent way. The power of love is such that it surrenders itself. Amen? So that the presence, its presence is known, is manifested. But you have to surrender it. You have to surrender you. You have to lay down to allow the love of God to be manifested because you'll get in the way. The flesh will get in the way. So the power of God is such that it surrenders itself so that its presence is known. To do that, we have to let go of resistance, amen? And when we do, what will be revealed is the purity of love, amen? Here in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, Solomon said, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. And we've, we've seen that. We've all transgressed uh, God, but he's covered them. We find in Hebrews chapter 8 and also Hebrews chapter 10 that when we're in this covenant with him, he remembers our lawless deeds no more. They're removed even from his memory. We are justified. And that, that means we have no record in his sight of ever committing a sin at all. Think about that. Think about what the Lord has done for you and for me. He's not only saved us from our sins. He has dealt with the sin nature. That is who we are in Adam. We say in Romans chapter 6 and 7. He deals with the sin nature. And he causes us to be born again. We were crucified. We were buried with him. And we've been risen with him. Now, I don't pretend to understand that, but I receive it and accept it by faith. Amen. And he forgave us of all our sins. He gave us a new nature and he remembers our sins no more. He stands with his own blood at the mercy seat. 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4. Verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. What does that mean? That means that, you know, we better have sound judgment and be sober in spirit to pray properly during these last days. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. That's above all. Keep fervent. That's a choice we make every day. We make a choice in every situation. We can say, I'm done with it. I'm out of it. Or as John likes to say, rain on it. <laughs> that's whatever. I mean, that's our tendency. That's who we are in Adam, though, not who we are in Christ. Above all. Now, this is God's instruction. Above all. A more excellent way. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Fervent. 
Because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospital to one another. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards, stewards of the manifold grace of God. Are we good stewards of the manifold grace of God? God has given us grace. God does not take into account a wrong suffered. If we do, if we hold others accountable, when God is not holding us accountable, we're nothing more than the unrighteous steward. Amen? Or the one who was forgiven an, in, an unpayable debt, and yet he was not willing to forgive a lesser debt by one of his fellow uh, countrymen. Above all, verse 8, keep fervent in your love for one another. Now, this is not me speaking. I'm not speaking this. This is Apostle Peter, the chief of all apostles, is saying this. And he's saying it because Jesus taught him. But nothing else matters if you don't do this. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sin. Michael read it last week in 1 John chapter 5 where he was saying, if someone commits a sin not leading unto death, Pray and they'll be forgiven. That's just covering. That's all that is. That's just doing when, 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 you know, when Noah, after the flood, got drunk. He planted a vineyard and he got drunk and he, got, he fell out naked in his tent, you know. And Ham saw him. Ham didn't cover him. Ham went back and talked about it, you know. But the other two came. His, the other two were more noble. In other words, they had a more excellent way. They knew their father wasn't perfect. They knew that. But they also knew to God he was. That God had used him. God had used him to save the entire world. If it wasn't for Noah, they would be dead. Because Noah alone was the one that was righteous in his generations. God chose Noah, not his sons. His sons were spared because of his Faithfulness. Now, was he wrong for getting falling out naked drunk? Well, yeah, he was wrong. He was wrong. But God saw the perspective, and those two sons then covered him. We have to cover one another, amen. For because we are covered. Now let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You see, you're going to sin today, and you're going to sin tomorrow, but it's already covered. You're already under the mercy seat of God. The Ark of the Covenant, the box that holds the covenant, is covered by the mercy seat of God, and it's pure, pure gold. <clears throat> Chapter 12, verse 8. For even if the body is one, yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit, for the body is not one member, but mem many. 
we're all members of the body of Jesus Christ. If we afflict a member, we afflict a member of, of the body of Jesus Christ. It's his body. I mean, I don't go around trying to hurt myself. I hurt myself sometimes, but I don't try to. You know, I don't want to hurt this finger. I have, but I don't want to. I may accidentally cut it. I may accidentally hit it with a hammer. You know, I might stub my toe, but I don't want to. I don't like it, you know. Treon broke her little toe, you know. We don't, probably when she had one of the seizures, but I think she probably hit it on the chair, but, but we didn't know it until later, and then it turned black and blue. But she didn't want to hurt that. And you know what? Her whole body knew it. Do you think Jesus doesn't know? If you willfully hurt another member, do you think, what does he think about it? What does he think? Well, it doesn't please him. Amen. Verse 15, if the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, is it not for this reason any the less part of the body? And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, is it not for this reason any the less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole we're hearing, where would the sense of smell be? You know what this is telling us? That, you know, do you need your eyes? You're looking at your Bibles right now. Do you need your ears? You're hearing the word red right now. Do you need your hands and your fingers to turn the pages? To hold the book? Yes. You're going to need your legs and your feet a little bit when you get up. You're going to need your mouth when you go eat. You're going to need your stomach. You're going to need all that. Every member is needed. And if you lose something, you lose something that you need and that I need. Amen. But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. We have, you know, inward members too. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Do you have the same care for one another? Well, you won't have if you don't have love. You have to love the body, but to love the body means you love Jesus. You can't say, well, I love Jesus, but I don't love everybody in the body. I don't love every member of his body. Well, then you don't love him then. You place limits. You have limitations on what part of him you like, what part of him you don't like. You know, well, I don't like, I don't like that, but I do like this. Well, you know, he comes as a whole. That's how he comes. 
I mean, <laughs> the early apostles, I mean, you had Jesus, who was kind of, not Jesus, but Peter, who was, you know, pretty mouthy and bold and everything. And then you had Thomas that so uh, he was doubting, might as well go, go, go to Bethany to die with Jesus. You know, let's just go on, we'll just go die with him. <laughs> and... Uh, Verse 26, or verse 25, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. You know, that's the thing about, like, our members of our body serves, serves the rest of our body. Your eyes are serving you, your hands are serving you, you know, your ears. We all serve. We need each other. We need each other's servants. And if one member suffers, all members suffer with it, if one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body. That's what he's saying of us. Now, we, we need to remember that this is one of the most problem churches. Amen? I mean, when we read Corinthians, I mean, there's a lot of problems in Corinthians. You know, they, they're rich in the spiritual gifts, but they're a mess otherwise. You know, they really are. I mean, they're kind of like some of the Churches mentioned in Asia Minor in chapter two and three of uh, of uh, Revelation, but even so, Paul is saying, though you might be a little bit of a mess, or you got some of them there that are, you are individual members of Christ's body. Verse twenty-eight, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts healings, helps, administration, various kinds of tongues. These are spiritual gifts that are to be recognized. You know, you, you don't just suddenly take it. It is, we, you recognize. Not All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. Now, notice he says, and I show you a still more excellent way. So it's more excellent than what? Healing, miracles, tongues, wisdom, all the other things that he's talked about. It's more being a teacher, being a, prophet, all of, all of those things, it's more excellent. Now notice verse 1. If I speak with the tongues of men, that means, you know, an earthly language. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, so that's two different types of languages, earthly language, heavenly language. But I do not have love. I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I could be speaking the words of heaven, but if I don't have love, if I am not becoming the love of God and acting out of love, nothing I do, nothing I say, nothing I think, nothing matters. That's what he's saying. If I have the gift of prophecy 
and know all mysteries and have all knowledge. And even if I have all faith, even to the point that I can say to this mountain, be removed. But if I don't have love, I am nothing. Without love, we're just nothing. Without love, we're still who we are in Adam. We're just the flesh. We're just something that will, that will fade away like a summer flower here today and gone tomorrow. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, I mean, you give up everything. And if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it will profit me nothing. In other words, I won't get a thing out of it. Nothing. You know what this tells us? This tells us the only thing that's going to bring something to us, a harvest back to us, a dividend to us, is going to be love. Now you can exercise these other things in love and receive some. You preach the gospel in love, you know, have a, have a harvest of people, you know, but it all has to come from love, amen? Now, then he begins to tell us what love is. This is how we know if we love. Love is first patient. And love is kind. Love is not jealous. And love does not brag. Love is not arrogant. And love does not act in an unbecoming way. Love does not seek its own. In other words, you're not seeking your own interests, what you want. That's, the, that's hard, you know, for us. Love is not provoked. So if we are provoked, it's not love. Love is not present. I mean, we may have an earthly love, a worldly love, but I'm talking about godly love. So love is patient. If we love, we'll be patient. If we love, we'll be kind. If we love, we'll be we won't be jealous. We won't brag, unless, like Paul said, sometimes it's necessary. And love is not arrogant. Love does not, what does that mean? It means you, you just don't automatically think you're right, that you know something, that you're in the right, you know? How many times have we thought we were right and we were wrong? I mean, lots of times. So we're not arrogant. That means we don't exalt ourselves above someone else. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own interest. Love will not be provoked. Someone can try to provoke you, but if love is strong and working, you can't be provoked. And then love does not take into account a wrong suffered. So if you take into account a wrong suffered, if you, you know, and you hold it, uh, then that's not love working. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Bears all things. The word there, bear, comes from 
the Greek word that means covers. If you have a center margin, you will see that. It literally means covers. To bear means to cover. You know, you're bearing it means you're covering it. You're shielding. Reminds me of what you did at the feast, you know, when people were sick. And you knew that's what you were doing. You were, you were, you were taking it. Let me have it. So love bears to the point that it covers. Now to bear means there's a burden. Amen. That means you carry the burden for someone else. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love will never fail. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. See, all that's going to be is God. God is in all and is all. And when the perfect comes, that will be the all that remains. Now, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child. I used to think like a child. I used to reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have been fully known. Then verse 13, he says, now, But now faith, hope, love. Abide in these three, but the greatest of these is love. And again, nothing else works without love. Now let's go to Corinthians chapter 5. Not Corinthians, but Galatians chapter 5. Where it talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We'll begin in uh, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. How do we serve one another? Through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you love your neighbor as yourself, obviously you don't seek your own because you love them the same as your own. That's your neighbor. But now Jesus went farther when he said, I'll leave one commandment. I'll leave this great commandment to you. And that is that you love one another in the way that I loved you. That's sacrificial. Verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. For I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the fear, spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. What are they? Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife. Jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, and factions, envying, 
drunkenness, carousing, things like these of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, it talked about a whole bunch of fruits of the Spirit, you know, all kinds of things, but it boils down to love. That is the goal of the instruction. That is the goal that we pursue to become what he is, to become the love that he is, to have manifested in our life what Erlene and I felt when we had those visions. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. It is joy. It's peace. It's patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things, there, are, there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. And then over to Ephesians chapter 4, <clears throat> verse 1. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. We can't be tolerant one another outside of love. It is the love that gives us the power to do it. We're not going to cover someone. We, we're, we can't. We will seek our own interests if we do not yield to the love of God. It's there in us already. We have the divine nature. We just have to not quench the spirit. You know, don't quench the spirit. We're going to struggle. We're going to make mistakes. That's going to happen. We know that. And we're covered. Thank God for that. We're covered. We are in his grace. But we can't practice these things. We can't choose to practice these things. Because as we just read, we won't inherit the kingdom of God if we do that. And do we really want anyone in the kingdom of God that has the deeds of the flesh? No. We'd have what we have on this earth now, right? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Verse 3, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Gift. Verse 11. <clears throat> and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. And he tells us what for for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Why? Until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And that's our goal. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him 
who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together, by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And we'll conclude over in Colossians chapter 3. And after this, John, you can close us in prayer and ask the blessing. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Paul says, For those who have been chosen of God, they're holy and beloved. So put on a heart of compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another. That means covering one another, the word. But, you know, you can think, well, covering somebody like just with a blanket is one thing. But if you're bearing something, it's like you're having to, to you're, you're shouldering a weight. And so that's part of it too. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love. That's what he says. Put it on. Every day when we put on our clothes, we should be thinking, I better put on my love. I better put on the love of God. And then remember what it means. Not seek your own, not easily provoked, patient, kind, not take into account a wrong suffered. So beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Where there, where there is no love, there's going to not, there will not be unity. Amen. It is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's something that he's, you know, he's just saying, let me do it. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Amen. Amen.